Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Everyone's life is driven by something. What drives your life? Many are driven by things like guilt, resentment, anger, fear, materialism, and the need for approval. There are other forces that can drive your life, but all lead to the same dead end, unused potential, unnecessary stress, and an unfulfilled life. The Bible has a remedy. St. Paul said to the Ephesians, Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. And the Master himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us think life through and search out the truth as we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, the Church celebrates the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, or Trinity Sunday, as it's been called. What is the important teaching that the Church wants to impart to us regarding this? Well, it has to do with the most fundamental question of all, and that is, who is God? And uh, Jesus, by the, in his incarnation and his teaching and, and such, has uh, unfolded for us the great mystery that uh, we know as the Holy Trinity. And that is to say that there is one God, but in three persons. And because we use the word person, which is also refers to us, it may sometimes cause some confusion how can God be three and one at the same time? And of course, that is a great mystery. Yeah. But the idea is that the Father uh, sent the Son into the world to give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit unites us uh, to the body of Christ, the Son, who leads us to the Father. So there's this descending movement of God downward to us and an ascending movement back to God. And uh, yeah, I mean, it is a great mystery. But, you know, we believe in the Father from whom all things come, the Son through whom all things are made, and the Holy Spirit, the Sanctifier, uh, in whom all things really have life and breath. There are different ways to express it, uh, but uh, yes, it is a great mystery of our faith. Do you think that most people feel more comfortable when they pray, praying to the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus, rather than the Father, who seems to be a little bit more distant, and the Holy Spirit, who seems even more distant still? Well, sadly, I suppose if people's faith, life, or piety, to the extent that it's informed by uh, Christian uh, teaching and revelation, I would think that uh, hopefully those things come together in a, in a unified kind of prayer life. We have to remember that when the, the apostles asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he taught them the Our Father. And people should notice that at Mass, in the, in the, the great act of worship, uh, all the prayers are pretty much addressed to the Father. Remember, uh, the high point of the Eucharistic prayer is just before the Our Father when the priest says, Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. That's the, uh, the kind of the uh, epitome of this prayer. Yes, our prayers are directed to God the Father, but that doesn't mean that we don't pray not only uh, to Christ himself and uh, invoking the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, but it also means that we uh, pray on a very different uh, level 
for the intercession of Mary and the saints. So there's a, a universe of, uh, how should we say, the population of heaven we address when we pray in different ways and at different levels. We'll talk more about the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity when we come to the Gospel today. So let's move on to talk a little bit about tomorrow's significance. It's what's called Upsy-Daisy Day. It's a day that encourages us to face the day positively. Celebrating Upsy-Daisy Day starts when you first wake up. Rather than grumbling about waking up, take a chance to be cheerful and bright. And, and I'm just thinking about how many people have been feeling down lately with all that's been happening in our country and across the world with racism that we've been talking about in our country today and marches and the riots that have been taking place, plus the coronavirus. Do you have any tips on how to stay positive, even when it seems impossible to do in our world? Well, Jesus himself said, in the world will you, you will have trouble, but do not be afraid, for I have conquered the world. I mean, the world is always filled with um, the ravages of uh, evil and sin and those things that befall us you know, natural disasters, not to mention the things that people perpetrate on one another. So we live in the world, but not of the world. And uh, we shouldn't be, um, even though obviously it, it can get to us and upset us, we always have to have our eyes fixed on higher things. You know, life in this world is fleeting. Even if we live to be 100, that's, you know, a flash in the pan compared to eternity. And it compared to the aspirations that we have to live. Uh, so we just have to keep you know, as the letter to the Hebrews says, you have to run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, it's a wonder, wonderful uh, motto from the, the letter to the Hebrews. Run, you run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what we have to do. And it's a wonderful way to make sure your world stays right side up instead of upside down, for sure. Upsy-daisy day. That's tomorrow. On Thursday, Thursday is a holiday that everyone should participate in. It's National Making Life Beautiful Day a day to explore the many ways that life can be made beautiful and celebrates those who work to do so. Life can be made beautiful by building relationships, helping others reach their goals, helping the less fortunate, donating time to a worthy cause. Small acts go a long way, wouldn't you say, Archbishop? And, and Absolutely. Do, do you want to elaborate on how one can make life more beautiful? Beauty, truth, and goodness are, are to be found perfectly in God. Um, and I think, you know, beauty is a very important aspect of uh, life and of those things that transcend what we can see. There is something transcendent about great art, something that draws us out of ourselves to something bigger. Mm. You know, Bishop Barron, uh, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles, who's very active and prominent nationally in uh, catechizing and evangelizing uh, people through his uh, uh, online efforts and personal efforts, he talks about the importance of evangelizing people by the way of beauty, you know, that our Catholic faith has contributed greatly to the arts uh, over the last two millennia and all these beautiful things that are meant to speak to us about God and about higher things. So I think uh, whether it's beautiful music or beautiful art. Um, architecture. You know, architecture, that, that where, where we see truly great works of art are transcendent. Uh, there's there's an aura about them. There's something that speaks to us of things even beyond this world, at least for people of faith. So I think, you know, we should, we should, we need to cultivate that. I hate to say it, and, and I hate to be maybe a curmudgeon here, but, you know, some of the arts today uh, do not intend, nor do they succeed in conveying uh, transcendent and beautiful things. 
and I, you know, who am I to say uh, that it's bad or, or not? But I, I do think that there is a, a form of art that the church has cultivated that clearly uh, is meant to speak to us of higher things. You know, you walk into a, a glorious a Gothic uh, cathedral uh, uh, or uh, St. Peter's Basilica, or you see some of this magnificent uh, uh, art and uh, sculpture and painting, uh, it, 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 it does carry us beyond ourselves. Saturday, we celebrate the feast of St. Anthony of Padua. He's the patron saint of the poor, travelers, and lost items. Any thoughts regarding St. Anthony, Archbishop? Well, no, only that uh, he's one of those saints that people do have a great devotion to, and uh, rightly so. He's a very great evangelizer, preacher, and um, everybody has their, you know, hopefully people in their devotional life have an attachment to this or that saint. And it's very important to be well-connected where it counts, in heaven, uh, and to have heavenly patrons and friends and to uh, communicate with them through prayer. I know somebody who um, is very devoted to St. Anthony because every time she loses something, she always says a prayer to St. Anthony, and inevitably she finds what she lost. And she's convinced that St. Anthony is the one that helps her find the lost item. Well, that's one of his patronages, isn't it? Yes, truly. Let's take a look at our gospel now before we go to some questions that have been submitted by our listeners. This gospel reading on Trinity Sunday is taken from John's gospel, the third chapter, and after we dramatically, after we hear this gospel as it is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Archbishop, this is the famous gospel from the third chapter of John, which contains the famous, often quoted, 16th verse. How are we to understand the important message of this passage? Yes, well, I think that's largely due to our evangelical friends uh, who uh, center much of their um, thoughts and prayers and preaching on this uh, phrase or this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And that, of course, is not uh, just for evangelicals. It, it, it is the heritage and part and parcel of the church's whole life. And, you know, it's at the heart of uh, Trinity Sunday that the Eternal Father sent his Son into the world so that we might have life. And as Jesus told us, it is when we receive the gift, his uh, Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we are sanctified and that we can ascend uh, back to the Father. Uh, so it's it's very important for the celebration today, and it's at the heart of Christian life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How does that jive with the fact that some say that the coronavirus pandemic was sent by God because he is displeased with the world? The grave divisions, the moral depravity, religious intolerance, systemic racism, callous regard for human life, born and unborn. How does it jive if, if this particular gospel says God so loved the world, and then there are some that are saying that the coronavirus pandemic is being sent by God in order to teach us a lesson. Well, we have to be very careful. You know, it's true that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
uh, very often. God did as a punishment for sin. Uh, of course, sin is its own punishment, ultimately, particularly those sins that are uh, personal. Uh, you know, when you when you consider it under the aspect of a personal dimension, you know, uh, if you're uh, a liar and greedy and hateful and, you you know, all these kinds of, and unjust, uh, all of these sins uh, come back to bite you, uh, both in this world and especially in the world to come. Uh, so in that sense, we, we do, the Bible does speak in those terms. But on the other hand, the world in, in its fallibility is subject to changes and processes that sometimes bode ill for us, you know, uh, for our life. Uh, and here Jesus said this. He said that before the end comes, there will all kind, be all kinds of things that overtake us. Everything from earthquakes to, you know, uh, wars and, and I suppose you could say a pandemic as well. I suppose one might say this, that if life were only for this world alone, then we could say, well, this is the most, we're to be pitied, absolutely. But it's not for this life alone. And uh, so, yes, we live in a world that is prone to uh, illness and death, uh, but that's not the end uh, for people who have faith, and it's not the end envisioned by God for us. That's why this gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but may have eternal life. I mean, uh, you know, pandemic brings death, and a very sad and perhaps sudden or untimely death. But the reality is that in the end, we all are going to die. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I'd be re hesitant about just saying that, that something is directly a punishment from God, in this case, you know, with a pandemic. It says here that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But how much patience do you think God has with us? I mean, 70% of us no longer go to church. We find other things to do on a Sunday morning. Does God's patience run out? And then what happens? Well, I think um, you talk in terms of God's patience, but it seems to me the way I would approach it is you get the world that you deserve. Uh, and by that I mean as sinful human beings, uh, we, see, we sow the seeds of our own unhappiness in many ways. And I think what you're talking about uh, is an illustration of that. For people, for example, who spiritually are either dead or empty, that they never go to church, they never really pray, they never really put love of God as part of their life, they don't make that uh, uh, the source and their inspiration for what they do. Uh, that's not to say that they're evil people in other ways, they might even be altruistic or whatever, but it leaves, it creates uh, something in life that is, that, that is deficient and that does lead to suffering. Um, I think too about the collapse of marriage in the family, you know, even the sociological studies all show that human flourishing is greatly promoted. Uh, I mean, even material success by an intact family with a father and a mother and children and who, a couple who sticks it out and doesn't get divorced and who, you know, who are faithful. This, this is, uh, this is not theology. This is, uh, uh, you know, social studies. And yet, when we don't live that way, when it, now, we, you know, there have always been people who, for various reasons, this doesn't happen for them. And I'm not saying that they're all evil people, because sometimes people find themselves in situations they didn't create, uh, or that, uh, you know, the life's been very hard on them. But uh, ultimately, uh, so much suffering in the world is caused because people don't, don't uh, try to live by those 
uh, re really religious truths that are reflected in a sociological outcome. So Jesus came and healed the sick. We have a pandemic. There were pandemics and, and suffering and, and, and such at the time of Christ. And today we have modern medicine that's aided us a lot, but we're reminded by the pandemic that however advanced our medicine might be, uh, we are not the masters of the universe when it comes to these realities. Just as in Jesus' time, he cured the sick, not so they could live a perfectly good uh, earthly life in happiness and bliss, but as signs calling them to faith. Uh, so that uh, the point is that, that Jesus was saying, through these signs, recognize who I am and what I'm calling you to. Uh, and if you don't uh, repent and believe, if you don't uh, live your life in God, something far worse will befall you than just uh, having an earthly sickness. What does St. Paul says? If again, if, if, we if, if we live for this life only, we are the most pitiable of people. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not why we're put here. Uh, and so we have to have our eyes set on higher things. Archbishop, let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. And first off, this question occurs to me that uh, now, tomorrow, churches are opening for uh, daily Mass. The number was 50 people were allowed to come to Mass. Now that number has been changed, and why is that? Well, Governor Lamont has come uh, out with a, a further uh, loosening of the restrictions. And so as we begin on June 8th with weekday Masses, the limit is uh, either 100 people or 25% of capacity, uh, whichever is smaller. And so uh, that is our new standard for moving forward. And one would think that uh, as we proceed with the passing of time, that that will continue to be opened up. But again, we don't know if there were a new surge of the virus, uh, which is entirely possible, that could be pulled back somewhat. But I do think it's a prudent thing to do to, to start off slowly, and partly because the churches have to be prepared to celebrate properly. That means social distancing. It means cleaning procedures, having everything set up properly uh, for, to, to, for, for how it should be done. And everybody and, wearing and it, a mask? Everybody wearing a mask. That can't happen just suddenly for a huge number of people. It's good to get our bearings first for a, a, a week or two. But it's my hope that by the end of this month, we will uh, open up for Sunday Mass. Even if the number stays uh, 100 or 25% of capacity, uh, because I am very eager that we should uh, go back to uh, the sacraments, but I'm also, like everyone, concerned that we do it in a way that doesn't endanger people's health. Carl from Hartford has a question. And Carl says, On Friday, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops took the unusual step of issuing a joint statement signed by seven committee heads calling the death of George Floyd and other recent high-profile attacks against people of color as a wake-up call that needs to be answered by each of us in a spirit of determined conversion. How do you, Archbishop, suggest that we each respond to this wake-up call as people of faith? Well, racism has been a great scourge of our country uh, from the time that our nation was included, that our nation, even before it came, became an independent country, uh, included uh, slavery, and particularly slavery of black people from Africa, because that's basically what slavery was in the United States of America. And we have this uh, legacy of this divide between uh, uh, African Americans who largely came to this country not of their own free will, 
uh, in the past, but were, were brought here as slaves. And so you have a poverty and a social, talk about social distancing, not for the epidemic, but social distancing in society yeah. uh, based on that fact of slavery that has created grave divisions, you know, uh, among people. This now, much progress has been made uh, in the late 20th century and, and now, but there's still things that happen that, you know, are totally unacceptable and that create uh, grave uh, problems. And one of them is the perception that uh, the police have sometimes acted in ways that have uh, victimized black people uh, in a way that causes great outrage among uh, uh, not only black people, but others as well. To the extent that one can say that these kinds of things are rooted in, in a racism, both on the part of among indivi- or between individuals and society as a whole, um, that is a, cause, is a grave wound that needs to be healed. Now, I issued a statement on, you know, for the archdiocese, and like the others, I, I said how these, these wounds need to be healed and racism needs to be overcome. But I was happy to be able to say that the, we in the archdiocese, through our Office for Social Justice Ministry, are offering a year-long workshop on racism, uh, uh, engaging people to talk about it and try to find a better way forward. Uh, and because of the pandemic, uh, it's being offered online. If you if you go to our uh, Archdiocesan website, uh, you can find information about this. Uh, so in other words, we're not just talking about it, but we're trying to do something about it. But it does depend on uh, the goodwill of our of each of us, of our Catholic people, uh, to try to understand this phenomenon uh, and to to do something about it. Do you have a point of view regarding the, the protests that have been re- uh, occurring? And some of them devolving into actual riots with burning and, and torching of buildings and establishments and looting? Well, I think everybody in a position of responsible authority makes that clear that that uh, there's great sympathy for the frustration and the anger of people. And they're not just uh, black people, but of a lot of people. If you look at the, the, the some of these marches and demonstrations, they're certainly not only composed of people of color. Uh, so there's a great frustration uh, by a lot of people about these things, but by the same token, as it's obvious that uh, no one is going to ever excuse or approve of uh, looting and burning and, and other such things. And one thing I find very troubling too is that you know I'm old enough to remember from the the great uh, civil rights uh, demonstrations and even rioting mm-hmm. in the 1960s that I don't think a church or place of worship was ever. Uh, touched, and yet, uh, in recent uh, outbreaks of the violent part of it uh, and looting, there have been uh, attacks on on churches, including several Catholic cathedrals in the country. And uh, needless, that says something too that is extremely troubling about where people are. And I don't just mean the uh, the people who did it, but in our society in general. But again, that's a very different thing from the legitimate. Uh, uh, concerns and even demonstrations that people have done peacefully to to, to uh, register their great um, anger and dissatisfaction with, uh, with the way people are treated can be tr- sometimes treated uh, by the police and particularly the black community. But I think most of our police officers. I mean, they've even said that you know they they are uh, very sorry for 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 something like this happening. Uh, I mean, we have to have respect for people in, in public authority, and, but I, I think our civil authorities and the police themselves have a duty to make sure that among their ranks, there are people who are not going to do these kinds of acts. 
We've already talked a little bit about this, but I don't want to ignore Lenny's question. Lenny is from Avon, and he says, Tomorrow, June 8th, marks the first day that public worship will resume in the Archdiocese of Hartford since initial coronavirus restrictions were put into place. What can worshipers expect when they return to Mass? Well, I would say that I could give a complicated answer because basically these are technical things, but I would just refer you to the Archdiocesan website in which is posted all of the, the, the things that are outlined for the reopening of our churches for public worship. And so you can get very specific um, answers to, to a question that you might have about expectations when you return. Uh, basically, it's about uh, social distancing in the pews. It's about staying apart even as you go to if, Holy Communion if you're going to go. It's about wearing a mask through all of Mass. It's about not singing uh, or having hymnals around. Uh, that's basically, uh, and not uh, socializing before or after Mass, just having to keep your distance. Bringing, san- and, bringing sanitizer to Mass? Yes, thank you for reminding me. Churches don't necessarily have enough equipment uh, to, for a b- big building uh, to bring some hand sanitizer too. And, and again, I repeat constantly, nobody's obliged to go to Mass on Sunday for the time being. And if you're uh, elderly, sick, or you're caring for someone who's sick at home, it's better that you not come. Um, so those are the kind of things that we, we want to put in place. Rita from Torrington says, June marks the start of Pride Month. Last June, Bishop Thomas Tobin sparked controversy when he urged Catholics not to attend LGBTQ Pride events and said that these events are harmful to children. Is it acceptable and or encouraged for Catholics to observe Pride Month and participate in events? I certainly would not, uh, in, in as much as I would not go to a uh, parade or event that celebrated uh, uh, divorce uh, or artificial contraception uh, because these things are contrary to Catholic teaching. doesn't mean that I uh, condemn people who are divorced or that I condemn people that uh, use uh, artificial contraception. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I mean in the sense that they are human beings always worthy of respect and uh, I cannot judge their conscience. But as a teacher of the faith, I certainly uh, cannot uh, celebrate or condone things that are contrary to that teaching. So similarly for Pride Month, it doesn't mean that we should be disrespectful of homosexual persons, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and celebrate homosexual acts or or, uh, homosexual marriage. Patricia from West Haven says, how has the coronavirus shutdown affected our Catholic schools? Are any of them closer to closing because of the disruption? You know, this year we sadly, and this is a great wound for me, but with the decline of the number of uh, children uh, in uh, in our state of school age and with the financial uh, challenges and difficulties, uh, we again this year have closed a number of uh, Catholic grade schools at the request of the parish because they simply can't do it anymore. They just don't have the students or the resources uh, to, to continue. So yes, we have closed some, but we also, uh, when it comes to uh, those that are, are still open and going strong, uh, we have to see how enrollment will uh, pan out for the fall. But I just, uh, as of this week, heard a report from our school's office that uh, enrollment seems to be, uh, in most cases, holding up pretty well. Uh, so that is very encouraging to me because obviously if the, if the pandemic means that more people uh, are going to stop going to the Catholic school, that will only make things uh, worse. So let's hope that um, 
you know, that, that people will find a way to continue to send their children. And uh, I hope that we won't have any problem as a result. Archbishop, can you conclude the program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord God, we turn to you in all of our needs, and we glorify you, uh, Holy Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray that by your grace and our uh, repentance and faith in this life, our response and love to you, we may one day be blessed with the beatific vision uh, in heaven to be with you, our God, uh, forever. And we ask you to bless our country and our communities uh, as we struggle still against the pandemic and bless our efforts to reopen our churches to public worship again. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for your invitation into the Archbishop's Corner. We always enjoy being with you and hearing your response to many of our listeners' questions. We look forward to being with you next week. Until then, enjoy this week. Thank you. You too.